talking for a couple of weeks now about miracles and the the title of the story when pigs fly the title of the series comes from the thought of you know when you say something that's just unbelievable or something that that is not expected to happen and your response is yeah well when pigs fly you know um uh kind of like yeah well when that vacation spot that nobody wants to go to freezes over you know um You'll get that in a minute. Um, and if, if you could laugh, I would appreciate it. Um, just, you know, anyway, <laughs> somebody's got a really good laugh back here. I, I don't know who it is, but I love it. Um, we've been talking about miracles for a couple of weeks. We began talking about miracles of deliverance, you know, breaking free from the stronghold, from the grip that, that the enemy uh, puts on us. And, and then the last week, we talked about miracles of healing. Today I want to talk about rescue, and um, one of the things that comes to mind, you mentioned rescue, you know, immediately several pictures come to my mind at least, and one of those is, a, is the image of a, a, a person floating in an ocean with no one in sight. You know, they're in a life raft maybe, but they're by themselves and there's no one in sight, and they're just bouncing up on the waves, and waves are, you know, crashing over the, the side of that little tiny raft. Um, which I don't care how big a raft it is, if it's in the ocean, it's tiny. Um, and and <clears throat> it's been days you've been out there. You haven't had anything to eat or anything to drink for, for, for days, and you're all alone and totally exposed to the elements. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you hear a sound. And, and you look up, and there's a helicopter coming your way, and it stops overhead, and it lets down a line with, a, with a, 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 a harness, or somebody's coming down and being let down with it, with a harness, and they, they come down into the raft and, and strap you in the harness and, and lift you up out of, the, out of the raft into the helicopter, and you're whisked away to a place of safety, a place of security, a place where you can begin to heal from the dehydration and the exposure to the elements. That's, that's a picture of, of rescue when I think of that. You know, you're just, everything's totally, it's out of your control, and, 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 and you're just snatched out of that. I looked up in the dictionary definitions of rescue, and one is to save someone from a dangerous or distressing situation. Another definition is to take someone such as a prisoner forcibly from custody. So you go in and, and you know, they think of the, you know, the, the um, special ops. They go in and, 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 and rescue someone that is being held prisoner. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And I've asked Ann to come up and share her story with us because it is a miracle story and it's a story of, of God's rescue. So Ann, would you come on up? And some of you ladies are familiar with the story from her sharing it with our ladies group. And some of you, uh, many of you haven't had the opportunity to have her tell her story. So let's give Ann a warm welcome. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to get you situated here with the microphone so that you can speak right into it. Ann tends to be a little soft-spoken, uh, you know, and uh, that's a blessing. But we want to make sure that we hear her. So we're, uh, we're going to go ahead and, uh, and uh, set that up. And um, before we get started, I'd just like to pray for you. That be a good idea? Yes. 
We believe in prayer, right? Yes. Okay. I thought we did here. <laughs> Seemed like a good thing to do. Father, I just pray and I, I, I thank you for Anne. I thank you for her life. I thank you for her witness. I thank you for her friendship. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought her into our lives. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would just rest on her right now. Give her your peace as she shares her story. Give her your peace. Let your Holy Spirit rest on her right now. Flow through her. Lord, let your words come out of her mouth. When we look at Anne, we see you, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, anoint her right now with the words that she's to share. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, before we get into your story, before we get into your story, I would like to uh, ask you, since we talked last week about healing, and, you know, last week we heard of Ellen's uh, testimony, her story of, uh, of healing just a month ago. Um, you've had a recent uh, touch of healing too, haven't you? Yes, I have. I, um, due to a medication I was taking, my kidneys started dysfunctioning and um, they were getting pretty serious. So a couple of the ladies in the Sunday afternoon meetings prayed for me for this condition and I went back to my kidney doctor a few weeks later, and my kidney function had improved, which never happens. And um, they said I was going in the right direction now, and I just praise God for that he current healing. Although I have many other healings that I'm going to share in my story, um, because I've almost passed away three times, and God has restored me three times. Amen. And and I just um, want to say that last song, Rish, was um, just for me. There's victory in Jesus. There's victory in him. Yes, amen. Okay, you had, thank you for sharing that. Now, you had, uh, you've been through a, a tough time. Yes. To yes. say the least. Um, I'm going to let you go ahead and just tell your story, and uh, um, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I grew up in a good home. I had three brothers. I was raised in Catholic elementary school and Catholic college and had a degree in education and Spanish. I accepted the Lord in a Catholic charismatic high school. Um, I was married in 1976 at 19 years of age. Things became pretty intense and abusive. We ended up going through divorce 10 years later in 86. The school that I was teaching at closed and my brother was killed in a car wreck. It took many years before I was able to go and forgive the man who was drinking and driving. All of these things caused me to become extremely depressed. I returned home in May of 86. For six months, I stayed in bed and ate very little. I became suicidal. In October of 86, I made an attempt. 
My parents were away one evening, and I took a can of gasoline and poured it over me, and then lit a match. I went up in flames. Two high school boys were walking on the street behind me and heard me screaming. They were Boy Scouts and thought I was swimming in, in distress. After jumping over the eight-foot fence, they saw that I, I was on fire. They chased after me and wrapped me in their coats. They called an ambulance, and I was taken to Bloomington Hospital. From there, I was lifeline to Wishard Hospital. My parents came in as soon as they got home. They were told I had third-degree burns over 70% of my body. In the next three months, I was in an induced coma. I had 18 skin grafts and several other surgeries during this time. There were daily baths in a tank where the nurses would debris my skin. I was told that even though I was in a coma, I would scream during these treatments. After the treatments, they would put antibiotic lotion on me and wrap me in ACE wraps. I was also on a ventilator for three months during this time. My lungs had collapsed and they had to keep draining the fluid out of them, which is a very painful process. My elbows became calcified from lack of movement due to my arms being strapped to the bed as, as I would pull out my IVs. At the beginning of January, I was moved to Hooks Rehab where I spent three months in intensive physical and occupational therapy before I left there, I was fitted with a neck brace and back brace to help me stand straight up. I also had a Job's bodysuit to put pressure on my scars so they would not raise up again. I looked like a mummy with only my face showing. When I walked, my, my fingers touched my toes because the burns were so bad in here that I couldn't stand up straight, and that was the reason for the back brace and neck brace. It took two years before the calcification stopped, and they could do surgery on my elbows to free them up. All of these surgeries, uh, after these surgeries, I was put on a machine that moved my arms to keep them from recalcifying. In April of 87, I returned to my parents' home. Because my elbows would not bend for the next two years, I had to be fed, bathed, and cared for by my parents and Aunt Kay. They were extremely helpful, and I am forever grateful for them laying down their lives to serve me. I was, it was not too long after returning home that my psychiatrist realized that I did not only suffer from depression, but that I was bipolar because I became manic. Since 87, I have been on medication for this. Most of the time, I have been depressed and sleeping 15 hours a day or more, but I also had quite a few manic episodes where I would have to go to the stress center and spend a month or two. This was due to going off of my medications because I felt like I was okay. When each of my parents died, I went through these manic episodes. Jumping forward to 2015, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had to have surgery to remove the cancer because of 
but because of the grafted skin, I did not heal correctly and had to be taken into surgery three days later. A graft was taken from my upper left leg and it was placed on the open area. During this surgery, I contracted MRSA. I was put in isolation for three months at Bell Trace, followed by a month of therapy. So I'm not only a burn survivor, but a cancer survivor and a MRSA survivor and a sepsis survivor. Some of these things I shared at the first women's meeting. I immediately began feeling all of your prayers. Tanya suggested I volunteer at the Hannah House. I started visiting Garden Villa as well. I prayed with the residents there. This gave me a sense of purpose. I was no longer staying at home feeling bored and lonely. I began praising God more at home and was able to share my love for the Lord more easily with the people I came in contact with. I had a change in medication while I was in the nursing home. My mind became clear. I didn't need to sleep 15 hours a day. The Lord restored my joy and happiness. God has been good through all of this, but he has been too good to be, kind, to be silent anymore. I love Jesus with all my heart, and I just want to rejoice and give him all the glory for redeeming my situation. He is turning the bad things into good and restoring my joy. Even if my story only saves one life, it will be worth it. Suicide is not the answer. Jesus is. He took my sin, shame, blame to the cross and gave me unconditional love and compassion. He showed me his forgiveness and redemption. Now I want to let everyone know of his grace and mercy. To, re to repeat what Pastor Dave said one Sunday, you may think that you're alone, but you're not. You may think that your situation will last forever, but it won't. You may think that there is no way out, but there is. In Jeremiah 31, it says, God loves you with an everlasting love. He is always with you, and he has a good plan for your life, too. Recently, the Lord has opened the door for me to share at the Coalition for Suicide Prevention and also at a suicide survivors meeting. So please pray for me concerning this, that I would have the right words to say to give these people hope. <laughs> I want you to look at this, Ann. This family loves you more than you know. And uh, we want to pray for you. So we, why don't you just stand here? We'll get this out of the way. And reach out your hands and, and toward her, and let's just pray. Father, I thank you so much for Anne and for the blessing that she is. I thank you for giving her the courage to share her story. Um, uh, it's, just, it's, it's such a painful story, 
But Lord, you've brought such tremendous healing. You truly have worked a miracle in her life, a miracle of rescue. You stepped in, Lord, when when there was no hope, when all hope was gone, when, when, Lord, you stepped in and snatched her literally from the fire. And I thank you for that. And now I pray that as she continues to tell her story, Lord, as she continues to tell about you, to proclaim the love of Jesus and the hope of Jesus, I ask for an anointing and a blessing to come on her life. I ask for more open doors to come to her, Lord, that the doors would be open, that the the opportunities would come, and that you would just fill her with confidence to walk right through them. Lord, I thank you for her. I thank you for those that have been uh, uh, so instrumental in her in her story, Lord. I'm thinking of, I think it was Aunt Kay that was mentioned. Is that right, Aunt Kay that was mentioned and, and Darlene is here and, and her husband. Lord, those that, that have been instrumental in, her, in, in bringing her to this place and this church family, I thank you for each one that you place there to help her. And now, Lord, her heart is to want to go and just tell others. So we ask, Lord, use her. She's here and she's just saying, use me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for sharing. Let me get this out of the way. Yes. Sure. This is Darlene, by the way. Amen. right.
Amen. 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 And, and the neat thing is, she's not just waiting until someday she can go to Puerto Rico to minister to kids. She's ministering to kids here right now. You know, a lot of times people want to go away and do some big thing, but they're not willing to, to do the, you know, right here at home. And, and, and Anne's proven herself in that. So thank you for sharing, Darlene. Um, you know, I, I first met Anne in 87. Uh, when she was, because um, we moved here in 86, in October of 86, the same month that this happened. And then uh, <clears throat> she was up in Indy, and then when she came back in 87, that's when I met her. And she was in the Job suit, um, you know, wrapped up like a mummy. The arm, elbow was out like this, the left one, right? Both of them, okay. Yeah, and all you could see was her face. And... Uh, the transformation that has taken place is nothing short of a miracle. It really is. It really is. And, you know, we said the dictionary defines rescue as to save someone from a dangerous or distressing situation or to take someone such as a prisoner forcibly from, custom, from custody. You know, the enemy had Anne well within his grasp. But, but you know, Jesus came and he said, no. You are not going to have her, and he literally plucked her out of, of the enemy's grasp. I want to briefly look at a verse of Scripture and kind of dissect it a little bit so we can, you know, to take a look at this idea of rescue, <clears throat> this thought of, of miracle of rescue. It's my life verse. You know, there's a lot of verses that I really love that, that you know, yeah, this is one of my favorites. This is my life verse. Colossians 1, 13, 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want to I take that and, and just take it apart a little bit and look at it briefly, just one bit at a time. The word rescued. Again, we looked at the English definition. The Greek definition is to draw to oneself, to rescue or to deliver. That's what the Greek word means, to draw to oneself, to rescue, to deliver. Very similar to the English definition, but it adds the idea of drawing to oneself, not just delivering from, but also delivering to, and that's important. And then dominion of darkness. You know, that's tyranny, lawlessness, unrestrained or arbitrary power. It's the same phrase that Jesus used at the time of his arrest when he said, why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day, but this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. The phrase power of darkness is the same one used as dominion of darkness uh, uh, in this passage. It's the same, the same phrase. And I thought about what's a good picture of this. How many Lord of the Rings fans do we have? Are you familiar with the story? Okay, we've, we've got several. We've got several. Um, if you are familiar with the story of the Lord of the Rings, that trilogy, think of Sauron's army. Okay? Think of Sauron's army. Evil, dark, lawless rule. That's a good picture of what the dominion of darkness is. It's a good picture of what we're talking about in this spiritual realm. The next word is, is brought or transferred us. He brought us or transferred us. It's used in the sense of taking a person from one country 
and, and settling them as colonists and citizens in another. You know, getting them reestablished. So taken from one, from one country into another. And then kingdom of the Son. Different translations say kingdom of his beloved Son, kingdom of the Son that he loves, kingdom of the Son of his love. The kingdom of the Son. Talking about God's rule and reign. It's not talking about, you know, in the sense of territory with borders, but God's rule and reign in our hearts. He's tra- we've, we've been transferred. He's transferred us being ruled fr- from being ruled by a tyrant to being ruled by God's Son, the Son that God loves, and the one that loves us with all his heart. So now that we looked at the, the you know, main terms there, let's put it all together. <laughs> For he has rescued us, drawn us out, delivered us from the dominion of darkness, that the ruthless tyranny of dark powers that we were under, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. You know, when God rescues us, he doesn't just bring us out of the condition that we were in or out of the situation that we were in. He doesn't just bring us out of the darkness that we were in. He brings us to someone. He brings us to a place that we can belong. He brings us into the light. He brings us to Jesus in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what he does when he rescues us. And you may think, well, why would he rescue me? Why, why, why would he pay attention to me? Why would he rescue me? First of all, he loves us, and therefore he rescues us for our benefit. For our benefit. That's why he does it. You know, sometimes people tend to think of God as just a narcissist who doesn't care about others. But, but you know, he's just in it for himself. And, and it's just the opposite. God cares for and reaches for, for us and reaches out to us to rescue us for our benefit. He does it for our blessing. He sees where you are. He knows the tyrant that you're under. And, and he has... has you know, he knows that the tyrant that you're under has plans for you. And, and we see that in John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's what his plans are. That's what this tyrant, that's what the enemy's plans are. But God also has the plans for, plans for you. The rest of that same verse. But Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He rescues us for our benefit so that we can live the life that he put us here to live. My water here. He also rescues us for God's purposes. Now, what are they? What are God's purposes? Why did he come? 1 John 3, 8. Love this verse. The Son of God came to what? To destroy to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the work that the enemy is working in your life. The enemy had plans to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy had plans to take Anne out. He used an abusive marriage. He used, he used uh, one devastating event after another 
with you know her 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 brother dying and and everything else that went on you know losing your job i mean all those things are major life events and they all happen like boom 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 just like that and then she goes through the horrendous experience that she went through and then finds out that she has cancer and not only cancer but what sepsis and, and what was the third thing there MRSA I mean really The enemy had plans to take her out, but God said, I've come to destroy the works of the enemy. God wasn't going to have it. He had another plan. And at the exact moment, this is what amazes me. What are the chances that those two high school boys would be walking past at the exact moment to be able to hear Anne's screams? and be able to jump that eight-foot fence and run to her aid and put the fire out. At two in the morning. Two in the morning. What were they doing out at two in the morning? (laughs) I don't know what their plans were, but I know what God's plan was. And God's plan was, I'm going to direct their path so that they're there. And, you know, there's only a limited time, window of time that they would have had to be there, and God used them. Wow. She was rescued from the brink of death. She was rescued from being trapped in a dark place that robbed her of all hope. And she was brought into a place of healing, a place of wholeness, a place of safety, a place of hope. Jesus rescues us from being alone and feeling that we have nowhere to belong, nowhere to go, and he places us into a community. He places us into a community. Jesus never delivers us and sets us out on our own. He doesn't say, okay, delivered you from that, now go have a nice life. Sometimes we act like he does, but no, he doesn't. He delivers us from so that he can deliver us to. He takes us out of the dominion of darkness and places us into the kingdom of his son. He places us into a family. He places us into the body of Christ. He places us into the church, his body. Acts 2, you know, I, I, I love this picture of the early church. You know, they were there to, to, to grow and to learn and to heal in the early church, you know, immediately. As soon as, you know, Jesus rose and then we have Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came and the church was born, they immediately began meeting together. It says all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching so they were learning, to fellowship so they were hanging out together, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They cared for each other there. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. they, they, They worshiped together, not just out by themselves somewhere, not just, oh, at home with a in my worship music on or out in a canoe on a lake or out on a golf course or something like that. You know, it says they worship the Lord. They worship together at the temple once a month. Is that what it says? 
No, it says each day. And they met in homes for Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. A living, breathing organism. That's what the church is. And it's not filled with perfect people, but it's filled with people that care about each other and that love each other and make allowances for each other's faults. That weep when others weep and that rejoice when others rejoice. Church is a place for us to belong. It's a place to heal, to grow, to learn, to discover why we're here, and then it's a place where we can live that out. It's a place to encourage and be built up and then turn around and encourage and build up others. It's a place to belong. Look at Hebrews 10. It says, let us think of, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This morning we all have a story. We all have situations in our lives Some are in a really good place right now. Some you feel like things are running, you're at the top of your game, things are running real well, and you're in a season of blessing. Others of you may be in a place of despair right now, or maybe somebody close to you is. Maybe life's not working out the way you thought it would, and you're feeling hopeless and like there's no way out. I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to stay in that place and you don't have to be alone in that place. There is a way out. There is a place of rescue and it's found in Jesus. But so often, when we get in that place, we get in that place of despair. Rather than turning to Jesus, we turn to so many other things. Rather than looking to him, we look to everything else. Everything from just, I'm going to do this, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps, and I'm just going to barrel through and do this on my own, and that never works. You end up running into a brick wall, and that hurts. We try to escape with alcohol and drugs to mask the pain, to mask the loneliness, to mask the fear, to mask the insecurity. I mean, I lived in that place for years. Drugs didn't do a thing. Alcohol didn't do a thing. We look for, for comfort in one broken relationship after another. You know, we crave intimacy and we think we can find it. In a, in a sexual relationship outside of, of, of God's plan for marriage, but yet we're still feeling, we're still left feeling empty. The only one who holds the answers to what you're looking for is Jesus. No other God, no other substance. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. 
He is the only one that ever predicted that he would be crucified. And then it happened. And also predicted that afterwards on the third day, he would come up from the grave. He would raise from, he rise from the dead. And it happened. Nobody else has ever done that. Nobody else has ever predicted that would happen then had it come true. Say, oh, well, this, this religion has this teachings, and these are good teachings, and these are good teachings. I don't want just good teachings. I want the power of his resurrected Jesus in my life. He's the only one. He's the only one that can rescue Maybe you feel like you're in that raft bouncing around in the ocean and we talked about earlier and, 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 and you know, he's, he, he's lowering a, life, a, a lifeline down to you, but you have to decide to grab hold of it so that he can rescue you and draw you to himself. If you're ready to trust him with your life, maybe you've been running from him, maybe you've been denying him, maybe you've just been you know, kind of like ignoring and thinking, you know, I'm not going to deal with that right now. I'll deal with this some other time. But no, this is the day. If you're ready to trust him with your life, and that means that you believe that he died for you, paid the price for your sins, and when he rose from the grave, he did it for you. That he rose from the grave to give you life and that you want him to now be in charge of your life. I mean, you know, if he's not in charge of your life, I just want to ask, how's that working out for you? But if you want him to be in charge of your life, turn your life over to him, then I want to invite you to pray with me. I want to ask everybody to just bow your heads and close your eyes, because I don't want any distractions. I don't want any, any, anybody, <clears throat> you know, moving around, um, just between you and God, I'm going to pray. And I want to invite you to join me in prayer. And just repeat after me. And it's not the words, it's what's in your heart. So if you want to turn your life over to Jesus and let him have full control. Now, he, when I say he, he wants to have full control, that means full control. He calls all the shots in every area. So if you're ready for that, then pray with me now. Jesus, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. So I invite you to come in and take over. I believe that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. Wash me of my sin and take charge of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and show me how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, and invite the worship team to come on up. While they're coming, if you just prayed that prayer and you just said yes to Jesus and you just said, I, I surrendered your life to Jesus, um, then would you take out your connect card, that bright green card, and look in the back of it. There's some boxes there. And just check the box that said, I accepted Jesus today.
to let us know, to let somebody know, because we would love to celebrate with you. Now, our ushers are going to come and, and uh, pass the bags as they do. I want you to drop your Connect card in the bag when it comes by. And if this is your, if this is your um, first time here, maybe your second, whatever, but you haven't gone to our Welcome Center yet and, and gotten one of, the, one of our gift bags, then instead of dropping the card in the bag, when we dismiss in a moment, take the card to the uh, table out here, the Welcome Center, and give it to the person at the table. Um, I think Millie's there, yeah. Millie, she's waving there. She'll be there. We'd like to give you a little, a little gift just to say thank you for coming and for worshiping with us today. Um, uh, so uh, ushers, go ahead and get ready to pass the bag. Now, if you have tithes and offerings, go ahead and put those in the bags too along with